No problem. Okay, we'll deal with it. In, in fact, that issue as to the status of Cain, whether or not he was righteous, good, person who had done Teshuvah or not, Mr. Tawel, is in fact what we are exploring right now. We're exploring this concept. What you're really telling us, me, Eli, come sit down. What you're really telling me now over here is what does the text really say? And then what does an elaboration on the text telling me as well? We, for the last two and a half years, have been studying the notion, and probably it's the most important core issue in Jewish teaching, period, is how to deal with a text that says X. And yet, because the text is holy, it has to be respected. And more than respected and holy, it has to therefore have relevance to ongoing new issues as they develop. So what did Chazal do? You have a text in Torah. What our text may say? And then all of a sudden, a new situation develops. So we have something called exegesis, or interpretation, which in fact grants authority to the rabbis to interpret a new and old text. We pour continuously and ongoingly new wine in old flasks, which makes the Torah and Surah as relevant. The revelation is not simply ended, but now the revelation has taken on a new guise, which we're going to call exegesis or interpretation or derasha. But we always have to keep very clearly focused what the Peshat. Right, we have guidelines, and we don't want to lose the Peshat. So, of course, we have to, therefore, in terms of your issue, one could, in fact, study Cain himself and see what is the text telling me about this personality, what nuances, what aspects. We'll find Machloket all over the place, of course, because the text often in Torah is open-ended. Go this way and go that way. You're saying we're being forced into a new interpretation because of a new finding. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that at all. Not at all. Not even close. What I'm saying is that when a text is a revealed text, Revelation, Torah, Mishamayim, and therefore it has to be respected and always utilized, right? Now I have a new situation over here. A new legal situation. Can I open the lights on Shabbat? So I have to now, I want my pronouncements to be as authoritative as the written Revelation. So therefore, I'm going to now say that I'm going to interpret that in terms of this issue. So now, I have an ongoing almost tension between the absoluteness of revelation and yet the need to apply my revelation to new situations as they're developing. And therefore, Torah has survived 3,000 years and is still relevant because we apply, we interpret. When we interpret, we're actually reading back into other situations. Exactly. And therefore, that's how we handle it now. Good. But that's a general, broad statement. Now, obviously, it goes without saying that every text that we have, Talmudic, as you will see in a few moments, as well as biblical and everything else, is all interpretable. We don't have the phenomenon of an uninterpreted text. Every text we have is interpretable. Gemara has commentaries. Kaddish have commentaries. Rambam has commentaries. Everything has commentaries. We're taking the old and we're still utilizing it in a new context. Right? That's what we're doing. But we always want to keep clear the Peshat, and the Dirash. What the text says and what you want the text to say. Now, your what rabbi... Or you, what do you mean by that? Or what you're told that the text says. I'm not told anything. I look it up on my own. Who's told? He's told? Oh, okay. That's another layer. Okay, it's a third layer. Good. What the text says to me, what I see the text is saying to me, and what we're told the text is right. Now, Joseph's rabbi had an interesting need at a certain point to call Kain a tzaddik, as you did as well. The guy you heard on that bad I know the... Behind the scenes, I know who you really are. These are closet men, yeah. So, in any case... Now, it's an interesting issue. Now, we could raise a, another question. Why did that rabbi choose that when clearly the text is ambiguous... Clearly, the rabbis are ambiguous, and they read it both ways. All the way to Pesach Shunim, Rashi says Lo Shavet Shuvah, and Rashi says Hazavet Shuvah. Machloket, because we have Pesukim that go either way. Gedol Avonim Minesua. Is my sin too great for you to carry? You can't forgive it. And the other, so that seems to indicate that Rashi would say they didn't do the Shuvah. God, carry my sin. What's the problem? Can't you carry my sin? On the other hand, what it makes them say they did the Shuvah? His punishment. At the end of the day, he didn't get killed. 
He was just a wanderer. And even then, he built a city. And he called it by the name of his son, Hanoch. And fine. So he didn't get to the done to Shuvah. So in their case, they have literary reasons why... Welcome, Harvey. Good to see you. They have literary reasons why they chose to see Kain as a righteous person or as not. Now, you could analyze what makes this person choose that Chazal who said that Cain was, in fact, righteous. That's another issue. He has a need for something. Oh, well, we don't know what it is. You have two pathways. Tashiv, Ezra, or Chazal, whatever it may be. Okay, great. Fantastic. Good. Even Cain, the worst guy in human history, and he's saved. Good. So now that's a good derasha. I buy the derasha. It's wonderful. However, I would say, let's go back to the pshat. In other words, in my case, when I'm talking about midrash, I'm very clear to my audience that it's a midrash, and it's not something that I'm reading into, but it's, it's either it's there, or I'm reading into it, and I'll tell you what I'm doing. This first Shabbat, I spoke about midrash of Kain and Hegel, about what they were really arguing about. I said it was a midrash. It's not my test. They argue about business, they argue about a woman, they argue about theology. Trying to indicate how people still argue about these kinds of issues. And therefore, we should try to learn a lesson that if you don't have mutual respect and tolerance, and control of passion, you're going to end up with a world that's horrifying, which, of course, is what we have at the end of the day. Okay, but that's clearly labeled as a midrash, and that was the purpose. The rabbis created these midrashim in order to teach the same lessons. So the rabbis created the notion that kind of the shuvah, and perhaps in my text or not, I'm not sure, we can look at it and analyze, I can convince you, I can convince you that, but the point was, the rabbis decided clearly, really said it for an ulterior motive, which was that even kind of the shuvah. Good. Let's go a step beyond that. So we've been discussing, be careful, pshat dirash. Now, along with that, of course, we've introduced ourselves to other great rabbinic interpreters who have done things to our texts. Whether it's Rashi or Ibn Ezra Sa'adja, great Jewish minds who interpret texts, or we ended up last June with a Barbanel, who was one of the last of the great medieval parashanim, who has a huge, huge verbose commentary. And we had discussed his approach to the Korbanot, those of you who remember. And it was a major issue, because Maimonides says Korbanot are really passe, pagan stuff that we're going to do away with. Others, of course, that I'm burned specifically, says, no, these are God's holy deeds. We, God wants Korbanot. So we wondered, how is the Bible not going to deal with the issue of Korbanot? So we analyzed it. He's certainly a 16th century thinker. He was affected by the expulsion from Spain. He went from the very top of the political ladder to the very bottom of the political ladder. I spoke about exile and redemption. Had a lot of different facets, as you remember, to his personality. And one can always raise the question whether or not his personal history impacted upon his commentary. Interesting question. When does your, when do your life experiences cause you to see something in one way rather than the other? If I were a transgressor my whole life, I, too, would want to see Cain as a righteous person. Why? I got hope. Exactly. On the other hand, let's say I'm this righteous guy my whole entire life, and I've been struggling mightily against all my passions to not beat my brother up. Not beat my brother up. Why? Because I, I, I restrain myself. So now, Cain, who fell to that passion, he's evil, and I'm better than he. So there are always psychological historical events in a person's life that one could utilize to understand a particular commentary. We're not going to go that far with the Babanel, but one of the most fascinating aspects of Babanel is that he has the respect of the, let's call it, right-wing community. After all, he's a Babanel. And yet he says things over here that none of them would accept. So, today. So it's an interesting issue. What does a person who's in a certain camp do when... Right. The same exact pal of What does a person in a certain camp do when all of a sudden he finds a teaching that he cannot accept, yet he's acceptable? And the irony is that you could find tons and tons of stuff in Jewish tradition which the so-called right-wing camp, who selectively reads, will adapt the personality and then have this crisis over a particular teaching. Right? It happens all the time. Well, bag. Well, Bag is one of the most famous of biblical commentaries, Gersonides. Fantastic, brilliant, one of the greatest minds in the medieval period of time. And yet, he didn't, didn't every, uh, we can't get a lot. Well, Bag, everybody's there. 
You know, if you read some of the things that, you, that, you, that he says, your hair will stand up. And you won't get it. But Salvation is the same exam- example of that, where he's brilliant and you need his learning, but he's a little bit too far left for me, so I can't deal with him. What do I do now? So that tension is also an interesting tension that one could pursue. But we focus on our Bible now in the issue of whether or not King Solomon had transgressed. That's what we want to pursue. Now, of course, it's a very heavy issue, and you had brought um, your other friend last year when we began to broach that topic. Who was it again? Rabbi Malka. Who's a lovely person. Yes, lovely person. And it's difficult. And he'll, now, what, what, how are we going to proceed over here? Well, of course, we'll begin with our text. What does the text say? Did he sin or didn't he sin? Right? That's the first question. Did he sin or didn't he sin? Okay. Did he sin or didn't he sin? What does our text say? Now, the text... Well, correct. And the text will be very clear. Crystal clear. We'll get there. And on the other hand, now, you want to also think about, to understand the process of exegesis, of interpretation, well, what's that so-called right-wing person going to do now? text says it very clearly. He will <coughs> do what? Reinterpret it. It couldn't have meant this, it must mean this. But not on his own. Wait, wait, wait. He might do it on his own. Or one person in a chain of interpretation did it on his own. The first guy. Because he couldn't live with King Solomon having sinned. So you can raise the question, why not? But we'll get to that. Wait, wait, we'll get to that. But now we have an extra interesting curveball over here that the right-wing person is going to say, and this is not a point, by the way, against right-wing people, even though Joey's here. This is, not, this is not what it's about. I just want to draw the lines very clearly. We're interested in reading a text and what does it say and seeing how, as a foil, how will the other person on the other side of the table deal with this foil. And it's a major issue, obviously, which separates the right wing and the modern orthodox world today. What do you do with these texts? Now, the right wing person in this case will say, I'm not worried about what you're going to say. I don't care what the text says. Throw it out, because I have my Gemara. My Gemara says, King Solomon didn't sin, which I will show you over here. So he doesn't care what the text says. He's throwing it out. He has his Gemara, didn't sin, and fine. So what is it with this? Well, I will do something else like that. I'll reinterpret it, but I don't care what it says because I have my Gemara. So now we have to also raise the question. Here's a nice Gemara that says King Solomon didn't sin, but we have the same question. So he did sin. We have to try to understand, why did he say he didn't sin? There's two possibilities. At least two, maybe three. One is, he's literally, literally motivated. What does that mean? There's something in these texts, and you will read the text and see what, how convincing it is, in these texts that indicates simply, don't ask the grind over here, that King Solomon didn't sin. He'll read the text, as you read the text. Now, by the way, the context, of course, is that David didn't sin. Nobody sinned according to this text. Which is interesting. Elise's children didn't sin. Should we all show that? The whole thing, they sinned. No, he didn't sin at all according to all these, this whole Gemara. Right? So you have to raise the question, what's going on over here? What do I gain by exonerating all these people? If I were Bill Clinton, and now it's two years after my presidency, and I'm going to go ahead and find a reason to show that Mark Rich is this wonderful, righteous person, as well as all the Sabbaths that he pardoned. Right? Now, why am I going to end up saying, Mark Rich didn't sin, and the Sabbath who stole millions off the government didn't sin either? Nobody sinned. What am I, why am I doing that? Of course, if they did sin, it's a dead reflection on you. Exactly. So that's one angle. Now I have an axe to grind. In that particular context, you have an axe to grind because you want to look better yourself in that particular context. And therefore, you're going to say, they didn't sin, therefore, I'm clean. Or, you may have no axe to grind whatsoever. Simply, you read the accounts, and like we, we read about Mark Rich, and we find him either guilty or innocent. Or it's a polemic against other religions condemning you. Okay, good. There's another angle. Good, here's another angle. You misunderstand the text. It's really meaning this. You're talking about, well, let me just elaborate what I think you're saying. Is that here we have a whole movement towards exoneration of biblical personalities, right? Under attack. Who might have been under attack, meaning, theoretically, we might want to show, this is another angle that we're not going to pursue right now, that the Christians saw King Solomon as an evil person. They say, look at the text. Look what you Jews are all about. Oh, no, no, King Solomon never sinned. This might be a narrow, polemical context. Which you wanted... I'm sorry? The Muslims are the better example. Yes, the Muslims. The Muslims would attack us. 
Of course. All the more so because the Muslims say that we, they have the real Torah, we have the Mizuyah, the Torah that's been forged. We fake them out. So they will say that they are right and we are wrong. Yishmael was chosen and Yitzhak was not chosen. So that's correct. So that might be one of these issues as well. So there are different avenues to pursue. Either I have an axe to grind because I want to appear myself to be exonerated, or I have no axe to grind whatsoever, but there's a literary, the literary reason in and of itself why I am pursuing this path. In other words, the reader over here might be reading more deeply and better than our superficial reading. Superficially, we're saying what? That he's clearly guilty. Your seed says he's guilty. Black on white is guilty. David's guilty. Black on white says it's a hundred times. He's guilty, guilty, guilty. But Shev, I killed this one. Did this terrible story. But, and a but, a very big but, I may not have an axe to grind. I may not have an axe to grind. And rather, there's only a literary reason which indicates that really, despite my superficial reading, no axe to grind, I'm reading my text. Despite my superficial reading, there's a deeper meaning that if you read it better, really he didn't sin. Third, one might say, that imagine the following. King David is the great-great-grandfather of Mashiach. And look at his sordid history. And if you were a Christian and your founder is Yeshu, whose Messiah is better? Yours was guilty of murder and, and adultery and all kinds of other stuff, according to the text. Mine came to atone for all of his sins. So therefore, Gemara, if they were involved in a polemical context, which of course we could easily show, then we would we'd find easy reasons to show how the text does not say that he was guilty, but rather he's innocent all along if we were involved in that polemical context. That's a third angle that one can pursue. Yeah, of course. It's in the New Testament. Because I'm only raising as a possibility, number one. And number two, I'm saying is they may prove by that... And No, okay, good. Yes, correct. And that he atones for the King David sin. There's no benefit to them to show him that... No, the benefit... Good, but what I would want to prove, if we want to go this track, which we're not going to do right now, would be is that Yeshua had to come. And therefore, we're still in sin because we don't believe in their exonerator. In other words, we are still tracing our line through David. Right. Now, who atones for that sin? By our account. Oh, they, it, he came and atoned for this. So therefore, they're, they're the true chosen people now. They're cleansed. We're not cleansed yet. But that could go up in a lot of different directions we're not going to pursue right now, which sometimes is the case. Good. Now, also interesting is that this past Shabbat and a couple of weeks we've been studying Kohelet. Right? Kohelet, which is an extraordinarily intense, powerful book, as we know. And somebody came to me and said to me, well, why do you assume that all these things that he did, Shalomu HaMelech and Kohelet, that he really did it? It's only a mashal. So, I said, one second. It says he did it. Why should I assume it's a mashal? Well, how could King Solomon have done all those things? It says he did it. What right do you have to say that it's a mashal? He's only imagining, fantasizing about all these wine, women, and song lives that he led if it says that he did it. This person has a problem. He cannot live with King Solomon writing Kohelet. Therefore, it's all a mashal. I could have wanted to if I really chose to sleep with all these women and all that stuff, but I really didn't. That's not what it says. So now, if you want to now take the text for what it says, it's black and white, he did all those things. You want to say, it doesn't mean that, but they really only fantasized about it. Well, you have to prove that to me. Otherwise, most people write what they did. You want to say to Mashal, prove to me to Mashal. Somehow. But the circular reasoning will be, well, how could King Solomon, the great King Solomon, have to have done all those things? So this particular person has a need to see King Solomon as a righteous man who would never do what he says in Kohel that he says that he did. Never do that. And rather, it's all a mashal. On the other hand, I would say in that case, King Solomon is a liar because he's writing that he did all these things and he really didn't do them, he's saying. No, no, he's not really a liar. He didn't really just tell us that he did it as a, that it was a mashal, but really it wasn't a mashal. So now think again. Why does this person need to have this text interpreted as a mashal, as an allegory, although it says clearly it really happened? So, interesting question. A need is what gives birth to new interpretations. Literary need, psychological need, polemical need, something means, something has to pull you away from what the text clearly says. So the first step really is seeing 
What does the text clearly say? Right? Let's look at it right now. We open up to the book of Kings 1, Melachim Aleph, chapter 11, page 738. And it's a very simple text. It's a six-line, seven-line text. Very simple. King Solomon loved foreign women, many foreign women, and by Paroh, right? And Moabites, and Ammonites, and Edomites, and Phoenicians, and Hittites. Page 738. What are you reading? Okay, go Yes. Wisdom is as good as... Don't say how it happened. That's from the of a friend. Don't say how it happened that former times were better than these. For it's not wise you to ask that question. So I don't see your point. My, uh, this is the shot. Are you arguing this is clearly what happened? He's saying this is what happened. That's correct. Right. So that, yeah, Exactly. So Solomon is saying, saying, this is the way I lived my life. But that person says, no, it was only a mashal. He didn't really live his life in that fashion. But okay, let's not worry about that right now. Page 738. So King Solomon loved all these women. From the pagan women that Hashem said to the Jewish individual, don't come unto them, don't relate to them, don't become intimate with them, and they should not come unto you. Indeed, they will turn your hearts uh, after their foreign gods. Specifically, those women, Davak Shlomo cleaved. He cleaved, Davak, he cleaved to love. Interesting, parenthetically, is what's the biblical view of love? In what context? Here the Torah, unfortunately, Navi uses the word love in a very negative context. Where do we have an example of two people that really love each other in a profound, intimate, loving way? No, <laughs> that's not a very positive context. I mean, that's a, that was more passion, I'd say, than, than actual love. But the word love is not used there. Where's the word Ahava used? How would you know? David Yonatan is the one that comes to mind, which is very uh, interesting. It's an interesting comment on man's passionate nature and his inability to get past the passion to really create profound love relationships. But okay. Skin Solomon loves these pagan women. He had, by he, Pasuk 3, he had many, many wives, right? They should turn his heart. 700 royal wives and 300 concubines, and they turned his heart. When it came to pass in the old age of King Solomon, his wives turned his heart after foreign gods. His heart was not full, perfect, with Hashem Hav, as was the heart of David. Shlomo went after Ashtoret, the Astart, the god of the predictions, and after will come the god, the abomination of the Ammonites. Is this any question? This is pretty clear. That's what it says. Could you find any other way? Use your imaginations. Let's say you are King Solomon's defense lawyer. He's on trial right now. Rabbi, you know the other way. You said there are people there that take it literally and come up with an answer that suits the Talmudic version of it. Oh, no, they literally. They said, not literally. They literally. This is literally what it says. I know, but you said they do a very deeper reading. Come out with they may. Correct. They may. That's the Gemara. Do they Correct. come out with it? The old age, it's you, they try. They try. Can they attempt? We will get to it. Okay. It's right here. Okay. But he was um, not of his full faculties. He was older. Lacked his full capacity. How would you read he read was, uh, you know, weaker. Very like his father David, yeah. but he didn't sin. The God called for him, like because he didn't follow like his father David. Oh, he's saying that so he's being judged at a higher way. level than we would be judged. Okay, good. You're saying he'd be judged. Yeah, like you know, King Shemuel had good. the same experience for him to be like his father David. Good, I buy that. Okay, helps a little. Helps a little. Helps a little. It doesn't mean necessarily you know he worship Abu Dzar. They turned his heart. They turned his heart. He went after Ashtore. So he went after Baal So, Well, you sound like a little trapped over here. He's not trapped. He's going to squeeze this for all it's worth. Yeah, you are trapped. Go ahead. I hear that. But let me hear his interpretation. 
מה שכתוב מעיד עליו, שהוא באמת נשים מתות את לבבו. נכון. הוא כביכול... כביכול. כביכול השם מחשיב אותו למלך שהוא היה צריך להיות כמו אביו, והוא לא היה כמו אבא שלו. זה אני מקבל. אבל מה אם פסוק כתוב כאן? שבילך שלום הוא אחרי השטורת. אלוהי הצדדים ואחרי מלקום שקוץ המונים. בגלל שהוא אחראי על He's saying over here that look at that Pasuk Eli, Pasuk 5, that the fact that Pasuk says Shlomo went after Ashtoreth, the God Sunim, and after Melkom, the Abarish of the Ammonim, really it means that his wives went after it, and he's held, and he is, correct, and he is responsible because they did it. Uh, 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 and he's being judged harsher than an ordinary person. Yes, because he had control and he didn't take control. That's, that's down the road. That's next week. That's down the road. That's all this. This is all air. Is there? No more to say there. No more to say there. Now we're going to learn the Gemara on Shabbat. What do you mean? Like you said, the people who are not Jewish. בשבוע בריא חי, סנדרין דף פה, סנדרין משנה זרים, פרק במשנה ו. That's the next step. He's trapped. Because we have many sources. יש לנו מקורות, נראה, נגיע לזה. יש לנו מקורות שבאמת חטא. אבל גם כן, אבל גם כן יש לנו מה שלא חטא. איך אתה מסביר למשל זה הבנים של העלי, שלא היו מקריבים לכל אחד, שבה היו מקריבים את הקורבנות שלו, והיו נותנים לאנשים לשכב. כתוב שחזו אותם, כתוב כמה, כתוב שמה, כביכול, מי נותן לך את הרשות? מי נותן לך את הרשות להכניס מילה כביכול לתוך התנ״ך? מי נותן לך את השוב הזה? למה הקדוש ברוך הוא מדקדק עם הצדיקים ככה הוא תצערה, אז לכן כביכול הקדוש ברוך הוא מדקדק עם מים. כן, אבל כתוב שכר איתם, כתוב שכר איתם. ככה כתוב. כאילו היה רוצה לומר כאילו, היה אומר כאילו, לא, כאילו בא את העולם. היה אדם שמו אברהם, כאילו היה אברהם. לא היה אברהם, היה כאילו היה אברהם. כביכול היה אברהם. I'm not saying no. I'm just let's go further. We're gonna get we'll get to it. Okay. Okay. Can look at this. Can look at this. Can look at Okay, so, but, but that doesn't say he didn't say anything. Wait, okay, let's go slowly. Let's go. Wait, wait, wait. Let's go. Wait, we'll get back to it. Okay, gentlemen. So, no, you don't. So, now we have over here. So, here we have this Pasuk. He went after them. So one interpretation is that he went after these gods. That's what it says. Interpretation now. How is this a Pshal Darash? He wants to say, Yaakov, right? No, Eli. Eli. He wants to say that the Pshat is that he didn't really do it. He says he did it. 
He didn't really do it. His wives did it. And he allowed that for he's responsible. Now, again, okay, good, good, good. Wait, wait, wait. So, good. So, the question now would be, if in fact that were the case, then tell me that. Say, Tell me that. If that's what, that's what, why not tell me that? Because you want to push him harder that even though he allowed it, it's like he did it. So say, so say, so no, say that. You don't have to say it. Torah doesn't work that way. Excuse me, Torah does not work that way. It doesn't work that way. One second. He judged as if he did it. But he didn't do it. He didn't do it. But he didn't do it. Okay. So is that just, first of all? Is that just to begin with? That we're going to judge you as that you did it, you know you didn't do it? It's not a fact. You think God, if you didn't do something... People judge harsher when... Uh, when people... Is that, no, is, that, is that justice in your eyes? You didn't do a thing wrong, but... It's, I'm willing... I'm willing... I am willing for you to be judged for allowing it to happen. Which is the same as doing it yourself. How could you say that? Because, if I allow... Because you had the power to... Okay, good. So now, okay, even if I assume that... Even if... Even if I assume that, even if I say that, you say in this tell me the text, Torah does not work that way. So Torah only works according to His rules of exegesis, okay. which means I can throw in anything I want and want to make it fit to what I want to believe. In the beginning of class, that's, the, that's how we keep it a living Torah. Because we put what we needed to put into it. Fact, exactly. So, exactly. So you put it in as all I want to establish. That's called the Rashad Peshat. Peshat is what is here. So that's what you put it. I'm going to accept whatever you want that you need to Put this in. You, but you said it. You put into it. Good. As long as you're aware. Exactly. It's obvious. He put it in. Of course. That's not Muslim. You're reading into it. Purposely to divine whoever wrote this. Put it in his mind that he should write it as this kid or did it, so we should learn a lesson. When you allow things to be done, it's as if you did it. So why don't you just tell me that, though? Because you don't have to. You have to, because I'm misled. Right, it's a better lesson the way it's done. 90% percent But I don't believe it. Okay, you don't. You have a different And lesson. many of them don't believe it because your no. ki'ilu does not solve no, anything. I'm not but okay, let's go on. Let's go on. But the fourth lesson. We're going to get back to this. Next. Well, why did, why did he get so many orange trees? Well, you guys can't go down. Well, that's right? right? the point. Your elaborations prove my point. I agree it's more dramatic, but it's misleading. And it's misleading. So you think Shalom was a saint? Shalom was a saint. What is the text? The fact that you have to... I understand, I said. The fact that you have to read and interpret and explain and build and build and build, all contrary to what the text simply says, is interesting. That's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. When we do it, that's my point. So that means when you have to force an issue and you have to interpret as opposed to text says X. No, no, it means Y, Z, A, B, C. Okay. There's also, there's also the other side of the coin is if we can interpret this. No, 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 no. We're going to listen to both. Listen to both. What really happened is that what's the Pesho Torsho Mikra? What is really true? That's the question. And then where do you draw the line? So that means, you know, when we're sitting, you know, we'll go, we can light the candles. No. 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 That's saying that. Let's go. Hold on to that. Let's go. I want to finish a piece of king. If you say, that's what it means. If you say, we're not missing it. Where do you draw the line? So the, the issue. We're not going to we're not going to draw the line at only pesulah mikra. We're going to say that there's a pshat, and there's a halachic pshat, right, and there's also halachic dirasha. Lord segdi b'chalim more means kote rashbam. Do not see the goat in its mother's milk. Lord said the tzura milulit the fiyar rashbam. Rashi omer shap pshat shap pesukah ze ze mash halacha. Rashbam omer ze not halacha. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, Yes. Right, we agree. Halakha, you're allowed to use those rules and talk about halakha. You brought up there. Halakha, halakha is a different area. This is not halakha. No, no, no. Just read. Just read the pasuk. Ve'ashinu mo'ad abani Hashem. Now, some people want to say that doesn't mean he did evil in the eyes of God. Blum ilachare David, Hashem kik David aviv. Some want to say that he didn't really do evil in the eyes of God, but he just wasn't as good as David. Kacha yeshomunim. And let's read the rest. Okay, like more. Then Shlomo built a bama, a altar, mizbeah, the kmosh kus moab, to the god of kmosh, who was the abamesh of moab, bahar shapanir shalayim. And also, if we look in Melachim, bed, perikav bed, we have again, perikav gimel, Melachim, bed, perikav gimel, again is made a reference exactly to this bama that Shlomo built. It's on, it's on page 833. Um, let's see what Pasuk. Look down below. Get Hashem. I'm looking, I'm looking. Yes. Is Pasuk? Yeah. Look, yeah, look at Pasuk Yudgimel. The Etabamot, page 834. The Etabamot, Asher Mimin. How many years later is this? Haskiyahu is the year 715. Shlomo is the year 9 from 960. Shlomo is from 960922. Shlomo Melech is from 960922. Shlomo Melech, right? David's 1000 to 960. Shlomo is 960922. And then this is now 722, let's say. Yeah, was right after. after. So two years later, the order says they still remember the Shlomo Melech built. It says it clearly. That's what it says. Okay, now, let's look at our Pasuk. Back to Menachim Al-Fiyud Aleph. He built on this mountain, Asher Penish Lime, Ulmolech Shekutz B'nei Amon. V'chein asa lechon asha v'nukhriyot, v'makhtirot m'zbechot l'elohem. V'tahad naf Hashem b'shlomo, k'natal evo me'im Hashem v'kesev n'i'alah b'hamayim. Here is no David HaMelech over here. Hashem is, wait, enough, haraf Hashem b'shlomo. One second, but in this Pasuk, because he turned his heart from Hashem, the God of Israel, who appeared to him twice. Right? And he told him about this thing. He said, don't do it. The T told him. The frightening thing is, once you remove yourself from the Peshutoshel Mikra, it's frightening. Then you have no anchors. If I end up saying that all of this is sort of like a metaphor, or all of this is like Shlomo's innocent and a saintly person, then I'm afraid of my conclusion. Because then I lose my moral bearings. This man who Tanakh tells me is very evil, Tanakh tells me Peshutah, but yet I can see that expression which interprets him as a righteous person, then who's really evil? Who's really good? Then take Yerav Am Hasheni, who's a very evil person, now he's really righteous. Take Yerav Am Harishon, who put an Egil in Dane Be'er Sheva, say he was good, why say he's bad? Once you start interpreting and you start elaborating, then I'm afraid I don't any longer have my anchor. My anchor is what the text tells me. And we could do all kinds of experiments and find any person you want and we'll try to reinterpret that whole person's life. We, we don't have what biography, Masha Bimet Haya, in the Masha the kingdom from his son. 
So the interesting question, it's a very good point, it's a very interesting question. Who is this Shalomu HaMelech? Is he King Solomon? Maybe in his old age he just got there. No, we agree, maybe that's it. I'm not, I'm not, wait, wait. I'm not going to blame him. I'm not going to blame Shalomu HaMelech for anything. Had we been in this position, we may have sinned as well. I mean, here's the king with all the power. The whole point, you know, that, you know, Shlomo, he was so, such a hachan person. And he said, you know, me, Hashem didn't say it to me. Me, I can, you know, I'm hachan. It's not going to happen to me. But Hashem wanted to prove him even him oh, like that. So is that so good then? So is that so good? It's not good what he did. Of course it's not good. Those are good. So look at the Sadiq. Because he's a big melech, of course. What he did is very bad what he did. Right. In the beginning and now he said, how could he make a sin? He said, he didn't Okay, so now we see where we're going. Okay, so now, now, so that's good. So let's look a little bit further. Okay, okay. But you know, to say that he married, you know, Nashim Lachriot, he didn't marry Nashim Lachriot, he converted them, and he didn't worship Abu Dhabi. Nashim is too terrible. His wife is Okay, you know, right, you're circling, right. So, how do you know he converted them? Okay, let's go next step. If you read, if you read the New Testament, if you read the New Testament, Why not? Neither do I. Neither do I. Why not? For what purpose? For what purpose? To get some context, historical context. That's not kind of fair. It means that once you start reinterpreting everything. Yes, once you start reinterpreting... The old year we mean that there is no taxes over there. That's what we get to. Okay, so wait, let's, let's just go a little further. Let's go a little further. So now we have this... this, is, this so we have the Pesukim, and we have even creative interpretations which are going to attempt to, def- to defend Shalomo. Now, the Gemara in this particular Masechah Shabbat, one of the famous Gemara that everybody knows about, Attempts, of course, to defend everybody. Right? We want to defend Bene, we're going to defend Amar Bishimuel, Banahani, Amar Yudan, Kwamir, I'll get to you in a second. Bene Ali Hatu in our So we're going to exonerate Bene Ali. And Bene, and with Bene Shimuel even more. Bene Shimuel, the text tells us, Also, it's interesting because the Gemara argues the point. We shouldn't necessarily think that it's only one opinion. so we end up interpreting that taking bribery does not mean taking bribery. It means that a good judge goes to everybody's house and judges the case. They don't go to everybody's house. The case came to them. So it's as if they took bribery. So they didn't really sin take bribery. But the text tells me they took bribery. Right? So here we have the same exact problem that we discussed before. We have Eli, we have Shemuel, we have David, the whole entire story of David. And again, just to make the point, they did, in fact, different opinions. So, it's interesting that you have a text, you have one interpretation, you have another interpretation. We're going to call this one Pishutosho Mikra. We're going to call that a need to explain, defend, a person. This need to defend in this whole entire Gemara may simply be rooted 